Welcome to my podcast, Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm Renee Beery, an interior designer with a passion for managing construction projects, large and small. My mission is to empower women, both homeowners and interior designers, to manage renovation projects like a pro. My goal in sharing my knowledge and experience from working in the field for the past 29 years will allow you to avoid the mistakes I have seen and go into projects confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your projects will be as smooth and as successful as possible. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation I had with fellow designer Rebecca Hay, who is an international speaker, a podcast host, and a business coach. She teaches interior designers who want to attract and serve their ideal clients with greater ease and efficiency so that they can have a more entrepreneurial freedom. Let's hear it for time, money, and creativity. Rebecca believes in collaboration over competition and that given the right tools, any designer can achieve success. Now, Rebecca and I met through our mutual business coach, and when I heard what she was doing, you know, a podcast, online content and course, as well as interior design, I thought, okay, we need to meet. We have so much in common that I knew I had to have her on the podcast We've had multiple conversations before this recording, so what you're about to hear sounds more like listening into a conversation that two interior designers are having. We cover it all, from interior design to pricing to confidence building. Hell, we even talk about AI briefly. This really is a conversation you're going to want to hear because I know you're going to learn something from listening in to two seasoned designers chatting about the industry that we love. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Please welcome my friend, Rebecca Hay. Thank you so much, Renee. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on your podcast. Anyways, I was about to dive right in. I'm like, I feel like we've been chatting. I feel like we've known each other for so long. It's funny. We've had a few Zoom calls just to like connect because we do such similar things that this just feels like another conversation I'm excited to have. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And I know the audience loves hearing you know, how we got to meet each other, the connections, and the fact that we do very similar online content courses podcasting, as well as traditional, whatever you want to call traditional interior design. Yeah. So Rebecca, I know your story, but I, my listeners would love to know how this all came about. Well, it could be a long story. So let's, let's get into the, the Cliff's <laughs> Notes version. No, essentially, you know, I've been doing interior design for not as long as you, but just over a decade. And I worked initially for an interior designer here in Toronto. I'm from Toronto, Canada. And he was a really high-end residential designer. And it was awesome. Like, I really, and we can talk about that a little bit later if you want, but he was a really great mentor for me and I learned a lot. But I also didn't learn a lot because he was super high-end. So when I went out on my own, I was like, oh boy, I can't really use a lot of what I learned because my clients aren't those clients. So it was a bit of a, a bumpy road. And then it was, I think it was in 2019, I had had my business at that point for a handful of years and really just wanted to connect with other designers. And so I was, you know, Instagram was my favorite place to be. I mean, it still is. And I remember thinking, I want to do like a meetup. Like I want to get together 
with other designers in my city in Toronto and just like talk shop. And funnily enough, actually, so in my previous life, in my 20s, I was an actor in Vancouver. It was a very short-lived career for me. <laughs> That's one of okay, my this is the first I've he- This is the first I'm hearing about this. I know. It's not that relevant, but I think it's interesting because I have tried lots of different careers, and I think that's important. Uh, It adds so much to your business to have come from different places and have different experiences. And I know a lot of designers come at this as a second or third career. So anyhow, I did sort of start my my life in Vancouver, and I, I remember wanting to do a meetup for other actors because, as you can imagine, and if anyone here listening knows... The struggling actor, air quotes, is a real thing. Like I worked in a restaurant. That was basically my day living, day-to-day job. And I thought, oh, it'll be so fun. I'll do a Facebook. Because back then, I don't think Instagram existed yet. Oh my gosh, I'm dating myself. But it was Facebook. And so I was like, let's do a meetup for other actors, other actors in Vancouver. And I had one other actor friend. I'm like, hey, will you come with me? We're going to do it at this pub. And he's like, yeah, sure. So I put out this group event or something. I invited all these actors that I had met at auditions and nobody came. Literally, (gasps) (laughs) it was devastating, Renee. I was like, I was so, I thought, well, this would be such a great, like, we're all going through this. Like, we're not really each other's competition because we're all so, we look different. We are different personalities. And one friend came, the two of us sat at the bar. We drank till it was time to go to bed. And I was like, I'm never doing that again until 2019 and I was like okay I'm going to try this with designers if it doesn't work it can't be worse than my experience in Vancouver <laughs> so I literally just put it out on Instagram I was like if anybody wants to come come to this pub it was right around the corner for me so it was super easy and like 50 interior designers and decorators showed up I was floored I'm and not was- surprised at all right but at- now I'm not but at the time I thought oh wow like obviously I'm not alone a lot of other designers are feeling alone. Like they feel like they work in a silo because a lot of us are solopreneurs and we're just working from home and we don't connect other than like at a, you know, a snooty industry event where it's super intimidating. And so I wanted to remove the intimidation factor and get designers together. And it was amazing. And so after that, I thought, well, I can do this again. So I started to do them monthly, if you can imagine. That's a big undertaking. In hindsight, that was a lot, but I was so excited. And so I would approach vendors. We had, you know, an appliance vendor or a fabric vendor, and they would host the event, sometimes provide food and and drinks. And I would bring in speakers. I'd ask my husband to speak. People I knew come to come in and just sort of speak to the group. And I had themes. And then people were asking me questions. And it took me a few months to realize, oh, I can help these designers and I can share my experience. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. So we we started doing the Zooms. We we moved the meetups to Zoom because I was like, I don't want to lose this. And then, what was really neat about that is because it was it was um, virtual, we could get designers in there that weren't just from Toronto. Yeah. And so we started seeing people from New York, from England, like randomly, people would join, and it was so neat to see that there was so much in common between all these designers. And that was sort of how it started. And it's funny, I remember the first Zoom or first couple of Zooms showing up and thinking, oh, everyone's just going to talk. And everybody was so nervous. They just kept looking at me. And I felt like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, I think they want me to, like, teach them something. (laughs) Right. 
Right. So it, it was it was kind of this natural progression of okay, like there's a need for this. I love helping people. And I know you're the same. Like I just honestly, like it feels so rewarding to share any little bit that I have learned or mistakes that I've made with other designers to help them. And then of course that morphed into my podcast, which is called Resilient by Design. And the title came because I really think that we, especially as women, are naturally so much more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. Like we are resilient by design. Yes. And I, for me, it's about confidence and it's about giving designers, especially those female entrepreneurs, that extra support, those tools to help them. And that's how the podcast started. And shortly after that, I developed a course and everything I've done has just been in response to what designers have asked me for. As it's my listeners crazy. can probably, they're probably nodding and laughing because that's essentially, with the exception of the in-person meet and greets, is the same through line, right? It, it's, we are, we started from basically our own needs, right? As Rebecca and I want to be around other designers. And then the designers were asking for our advice, given our experience. And so we built something for them my podcast, Rebecca's podcast. And then that I need more Renee, I need more Rebecca. And then courses came and, you know, it's fascinating because I mean, Rebecca and I are lockstep on believing in the power of community. And actually, Rebecca, I hope you don't stop the in-person meet and greets because there is something different about in-person. And, and actually before we got to recording, I was just back from high point and met a few in person and it is a different level of connection. And these were people from, you know, all over the country. So I'm not likely to bump into them in Delaware. And frankly, I'm not likely to bump into many interior designers in Delaware, which is part <laughs> of the problem. But in person and community and connecting and sharing that you two, you know, aren't alone, right? Because yes. I work, I work from my home. Rebecca has a design studio, but often works a lot out of her home. And I think designers get in their heads, like, what am I doing? Or more importantly, what am I doing wrong? And frankly, it's probably not as much as they think. It's Mm -hmm. just they don't have anyone to check in with. Totally. A hundred thousand percent, Renee. Like you've hit the nail on the head. It's so much. Also, I think too, there's this problem that we have with Instagram in that we look at everyone's highlight reel and we assume everyone has their, I'm not going to swear, but like, you know, their stuff figured out. And the reality is that when you pull back that veil, which is what you and I do in our communities and with our designers, we say, okay, here's what it's really going on behind the scenes. Here's how you actually need to, to structure your business, how you need to manage your trades how you need to maybe price your services so you can be profitable. There's so many things that you don't see that go on behind the scenes. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to these people, but we don't know how to get there or if what they have really is all that in a bag of chips. And so having these communities where you can connect, you really start to see and learn, oh, this is what's really going on with you. Oh, and I see it in my community all the time, designers sharing documents they've created or sharing, oh, well, hey, yeah, I got that feature in the magazine, but here's what I actually had to go through to get it. Yes. Or here's the one that I lost out on before I got it or whatever it is. And that's the power of community. And I think it's in particular about the magazines, I think there's this misconception that designers sit around and wait for the phone call from AD going, hey, we have a spot in the spring. Uh, Can you send me a project? Now, I was fortunate enough to work for 
very, very prominent designers in New York in the 90s. And on occasion, that phone call would come. And and remember, the 90s, there was no internet. So really, magazines were it. But I also watched my employers hire PR teams and marketing firms to get them in those magazines. So and again, I think designers think about that today, like, oh, Renee just must be able to like, you know, ring someone up and be like, hey, got a great project. Um, yeah, no, it's not that simple. Uh, some totally. things are easier, but it is not that simple. And designers, like you said, only see the highlight reel. They just don't see the blood, sweat and tears, a lot of tears sometimes behind the scenes of and, you know, that goes to also the concept of overnight success, which I think is just the funniest exist. thing on earth. It does not exist. And people, I love the people who, quote, are seen as overnight successes, how they'll go on interviews and say, oh, hell no, I've been at this for 20 years and I almost went bankrupt. And then I made this misstep and then I made that misstep and got a little lucky. And I do believe that there's a lot of luck totally. in success. It's what you do with that luck. I think is what is what creates the difference. But I, I couldn't agree with you more, Rebecca. I think the I mean, even I have a teenage daughter and and what she sees on Instagram, I'm like, that's not real. And mm-hmm. she's like, oh, look what these girls are doing. I'm like, uh, you saw one second of their life, you know, and so I mean, that's another topic. But for designers, totally. you know, it's just it's really challenging. And And, and I empathize with the designers who haven't had the backgrounds that Rebecca and I have, who haven't seen inside design firms to really see and appreciate that and are just looking at highlight reels or HGTV or any of those, you know, programs that claim to show a day in the life of a designer. It's so true. It's so funny. So I I recently launched a a course on pricing and in, in preparation for the course, it's just a small course, but I started to interview designers that I know in my city, prominent designers who on the surface and on Instagram look like, wow, they must be pulling in millions of dollars. And honestly, Renee, it was such a fascinating experience because I got on the phone. I was, I would just like DM their, their friends of mine or colleagues. I would say, Hey, do you have like 15 minutes? I just want to pick your brain about like how you price your services. Cause I'm like doing this course and two big takeaways. One, not a single design firm did it the same way. And secondly, some of the design firms I spoke to, I was racking my brain trying to figure out how are they even profitable? And and I looked at their pictures on Instagram and in my mind, there was a disconnect. I am seeing like AD quality design projects, but the way that they're pricing, I'm thinking, how are you supporting your team? And I'm doing the mental math and I'm thinking you are undercharging for your services. So It goes to show that you don't really know how people are doing things behind the scenes. But when you're in a community like yours, like mine, you can start to talk to the designers and share. And I think there's so much power. It's, you know, I've always used from the very beginning, the the hashtag has always been collaboration over competition. Absolutely. Because I do not believe we are each other's competition. And I think you and I are proof of that right now. Like we both have courses for interior designers, Yep. But like here we are sharing, you know, sharing our platforms and sharing our messages and and trying to help e- you and I just trying to help each other. Like we had a half an hour chat before even hopping on this Zoom, you know, swapping ideas, talking about this, that and the other. And I think it's so powerful. It's that what did you say that expression before we got on the rising tide? 
rising tides rise all boats. And I yeah. couldn't agree with that more. And to your point about pricing and, and anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows I've been full disclosure. I have been hourly my entire career for the sole reason that that's what I've always done. The women I worked for in New York were always hourly. I got the model. I understood it. When I went out on my own, I went hourly. And for years, I've had designer friends beat me over the head. Renee, you've got to go flat fee. What are you thinking? And I'd go, yeah, 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 that works for you. I'm good where I am. My clients like it and proceed on. And so it wasn't until I, um, there were some, a few aha moments as you know, there always are. And I thought, you know what? It's time. It's time for me to investigate flat fee. So I did what you did, Rebecca. I reached out to some friends and I said, listen, I need to pick your brain. I want to hear more about how you do it. And they were lovely and incredibly giving and not one of them did it the same way. And I was so frustrated. I was like, damn it. What I'm looking for people is quote the way. And what I learned, because I guess I'm a slow learner, is that there is no one way to do any of this. And while I could beat myself over the head and be frustrated and grumpy about it, the reality is you cherry pick what works best for you at that moment. And frankly, I'm filing away some other ideas and think, you know what, maybe in a couple of years, that will be more applicable given X, Y, and Z circumstances. But who knows? Maybe not. Um, But it is really frustrating. I mean, you know, I can't think of too many industries where everybody sort of just throws spaghetti at the wall and go, yep, that one's stuck. I'm going to go with that one. And to be honest, I feel badly for our clients. You know, if they're interviewing two people and and they're completely different, well, even within a flat fee, they're they're totally different. How are they supposed to understand where the value is and where the value isn't to hire? So. You know, again, I've been fortunate. I haven't really had to pitch myself, you know, in a number of years, but I do worry about that for new designers and how do they position themselves so that they are not so far out of the realm and yet unique enough. And like you said, I mean, for love of God, I do what I do it for, because I enjoy it, but I do it for a living, right? So if I'm not profitable, then I need to find a different way of uh, making money. Yeah. And that's, I mean, among so many things when you were first starting out is that was always a challenge for me is I didn't even, to be honest, like I'm going to be completely honest here. (laughs) Like math has never really been my thing. I'm trying to rephrase how I talk about money, but I really didn't pay attention to that. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to charge 125 an hour because that seems like a reasonable rate. I mean, like, what the heck does the hourly rate have to do with anything? You need to know how many freaking hours it's going to take you because you could charge $125, but then only bill for 10 hours, whereas your colleagues charging 95 and they're billing for 30 hours. Like it's not an apples to apples situation. And so I would get so frustrated. I would compare my hourly to all my design friends. I was like, oh, they're charging $225. Oh, that seems expensive. I'm not ready for that. But like maybe it's $125 or do I go to $150? Like that was, I weighed on me. I don't know if anyone listening can relate to that. But Rebecca, everyone listening can relate to that, including myself, every single designer. And if they're saying they've never worried about it, they're in denial. (laughs) (laughs) Or they were previously a lawyer. And so right, right, right. There you go. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Because the reality is I was not profitable and it 
didn't hit me until a few years later when I finally brought in like a past client of mine to help with operations and to talk about forecasting and and look back at my numbers and see, oh, oh, I didn't actually make a profit. And I talk about this a lot, maybe in my courses, but I've just talked about this a lot in general. Like I'm a pretty open book, but for the first five years of my business, I I was in the red. And red is an accounting term for those who don't know, because I didn't. I did not know what that, they're like, you're in the black. I'm like, what the frick does that mean? <laughs> um, if you're in the red, it means you you actually lost money. You did not make a profit. And in my case, I owed taxes to the CRA, which is our Canadian version, I think, of the IRS or the, the tax man. I didn't have the money. So I would owe back taxes. And so coming out of that, it took a couple of years because I was so focused on I just want to do this craft and do amazing work and I want to get published. And I think I need to hire because I'm really busy. So I'm going to bring on an assistant and I, oh, this is a lot of invoicing. I'm going to bring on someone to help with invoicing. and I'm going to hire a publicist because I want to get featured in magazines. It was like money just kept going out. I was undercharging 1000%. And at the end of the year, I mean, I guess I paid my mortgage. I don't even know looking back on it, how I was in such a bubble where I didn't want to look at the numbers. And that's not what, I mean, that's a whole other conversation for another time. I mean, I hate talking about, I've always hated talking about money, numbers, math, but when you run your business, you can't turn a blind eye to that. And I did for so many years. So, you know, once you start having that community, as we said, and you start seeing how others do it and you invest in, I mean, we can talk about this, but like invest in like personal and professional development because so many designers start a business without having gone to business school, without having run a business. A lot of designers are starting businesses now. There's nothing wrong with it, but they haven't worked for anyone else like you did or like I did. So they don't even have that bare minimum. So where do you get the information? It's so much more, as we know, it's so much more than picking tile, doing AutoCAD plans, and finding the perfect fabric. And so I agree 100%. A thousand percent agree with that. And I think part of the reason is they're embarrassed, right? I think a lot of people have kind of a hunch how their firms are doing and they don't want to admit that they are underwater or likely to be or one client away from being in a really big mess. On the flip side, I did come from big firms. My last, you know, I, I worked for 10 years in firms and my last position was a senior designer in at the time in New York City, it was a top 10 design firm, right? I was floating on high. I think back as to, actually, I'll share right now. Uh, she was billing me out at $2.95 an hour in 1999. And I thought, and I was about to take over the business. And here's the thing. I thought I saw it all. I didn't. Mm-hmm. She didn't share the payroll and the the taxes and the all the support staff. I mean, I saw them. I didn't know what we paid her and I didn't know what we paid him and you know what we were farming out and what we weren't farming out. And so when I went out on my own now, I was not naive to think I could just go, "Hey, I'm still 295 an hour," you know, but you know what? I probably should have that, yeah. you know, and so that's the thing is I got in my head, "Oh god, I'm no longer a senior designer." Well, No, I was now an owner, right? But at 29, that was like, oh no, I couldn't own that space, right? I'm I'm starting over. And Mm -hmm. I just did air quotes there, people. And so I think there is that misconception 
that I thought I did actually know enough. I'd never been to business school. And actually, there's a funny line. I, I went to the New York School of Interior Design, and, and that's sort of my personality. I did my research. It was the best school in the country. I was like, that's where I'm going. And I set my sights on it, and there's a whole backstory. And there I am, like the first month of school, and we're in the auditorium, and the, the head of the school comes in, and you know, you're checking everybody out. You're looking around. You're like, yeah, I fit in here. Yep, I can do this. And the guy's like, you know, he introduces us, whatever, gives us a baseline. And then he goes, so, you know, you will spend millions in your career and you will likely not make millions. Okay. You would welcome ex- to school. Welcome to school. First of all, I guess the tuition check was in. So screw it. I'll be honest. But I remember thinking, well, now I remember thinking back going, we should have heard a hush in the room. Like, oh shit. Right. Like, what have I just done? No, no. No, no, this was a bunch of 20-year-olds. We were like, you could hear audibly people going, that won't be me. I'm going to be making the millions. You just watch. And, you know, I'm really, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but, you know, there was a whole hell of a lot of facts in that. It was probably one of the best things to hear, but nobody listened, right? Because you don't have the, you don't have the information yet. Yeah. And you think, no, 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 I'll be the one. I'll be the darling of Architectural Digest at the time. It was that, you know, and I'll be the one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess maybe you need that at that point because you're really, I mean, for all the designers who just open up and put a sign out, I started as the librarian in the sample room. That was job one at a design school, people. Like it was as low as you can get. I mean, yeah, designers would just dump crap on my desk and be like, put it away, Renee. But, you know, you learn. That's how I learned all my resources. That's how I learned what I liked. That's how I got to know reps. That's how I got to learn how to manage reps. You know, So it is still this layering process. But I, I think people get into our business for the creative aspect. And we're also people pleasers, right? This is a service business. And I tell people that all the time. I'm in the service business. I may not work in a restaurant, but I provide a service. And I don't think enough people come at it from a business perspective. And frankly, the ones that I have met along the way that have been super successful right out of the gate, guess what? They've either had a finance degree, it's their second career, and they were a business person. It is a different beast when you come at it from the love of the creativity side. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, that's who that was me. I mean, I was the people pleaser. I mean, I still am. I'm a I'm a recovering people pleaser, I like to say. <laughs> so I'm too. working on it. I'm really working on it. But absolutely. Well, just like any recovery, we fall off the wagon. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm not recovered. <laughs> There's a difference in that terminology. Yeah, it's so true. You just But you know what? Back to what you said before, Renee. I feel like that's an essential part of being an entrepreneur is the I don't want to say illusion, but this this picture, the dream that you have of being the darling of Architectural Digest, if it wasn't for that, like if you actually were braced with all the information before you started, you probably wouldn't go as far. Sometimes there's a, there's something to say about a little bit of ignorance and this, sounds, this might come across wrong, but what I mean by if I had known how hard it was going to be to run a design business, I probably wouldn't have selected this career. But Agreed. I'm sure as heck happy that I found, like, I found the mentors. I found the education when I needed it for the thing that I was struggling with. Because also, there's no 
Like it's not realistic to learn everything from the get-go. And so anyone listening who's just like, I'm hungry, I just want to learn everything so I can be perfect. Perfection is a myth. It does not exist in life, especially not in running a business. It will also beat you up if you think it is possible. It will it will actually damage you, I think. Yeah. It's it holds you back. It holds all of us back from actually actual greatness. But I think, you know, when you encounter those obstacles, get that book, take that course, go to that event, go to that live training, or whatever it might be to just continually up-level your skill set to help you get towards that beautiful dream vision because I do believe it's possible. Like I'm of the mindset that given the right tools and desire, anyone can be successful. I really I believe it. And I was brought up that way. I can do anything. I can be anything. As long as I set my mind to it, I can have it. And so I really do believe that. And what I think, what I think is unfortunately a bit of a epidemic for women creatives. And I see it in interior designers and I hate to stereotype women, but it is what I see because most of the women in my courses and community are women. (laughs) Most of the people, sorry, are women. We've had like two or three guys of all time and uh, is a lack of confidence. Yeah. And not feeling confidence to charge what you want to charge or to even ask the question or not feeling confidence that you're running your business the right way. And it stems a lot of it from that desire for perfection. A hundred percent. There's studies that say, you know, women don't apply for the same jobs as men because women believe that they need to have a hundred percent of the qualifications before they apply. And I'm, I know I'm generalizing, I'm sorry, but there's been studies and not every man is the same and not every woman is the same. And Anyhow, not everyone identifies with one gender or the other, but in general, traditionally, it's been that if you lack the confidence, you are not going to apply for a job that you don't feel like you've covered 100% of everything. But if you have this confidence that you can do it, you will apply for the job. Like I have had people apply to my firm and I'm like, wow, he's super qualified. And then he starts working. I'm like, oh, he really doesn't know that as well as I thought he did. What? (laughs) He sold himself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's so interesting. You say that. Well, so two things I wanted to circle back to is you said the word entrepreneur and it's a newer term, right? And I don't know how many designers would refer to themselves as an entrepreneur, but yet we all are. And I think that's a disconnect that needs to be fixed, right? Because you'll see content, you'll see an article in a newspaper or something about an entrepreneur and they'll just likely skip over it. They're like, well, I'm not that. When in fact, they are an entrepreneur. And and the confidence piece is tied through all of that. I mean, again, when I, so I was 29 when I stepped out on my own and I was a senior designer for a very, very lofty firm and she was handing me the reins and I was going to take over her firm. She was going to retire. She had a six month plan, et cetera, et cetera. She had a very tragic life situation happen. And Literally, four weeks after she gave me this deal, she said, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I have to take it back. I can no longer afford to retire. And I've talked about it in the past, and and I really do love this woman dearly. But I was left with a choice. I felt like I was being demoted to senior designer, which I, of course, had just been. Because in my head, I was 10 steps ahead. I was, how do I reposition? How do I do this? How do I do that? And so I went out on my own. And at the time, that felt like the right move. I was about to be handed the keys to a top 10 firm, and then I went out on my own. 
And my confidence went from keep up with me, New York, to hi, I'm Renee. I'm an interior designer. And I'll be honest, Rebecca, I lost 10 years of confidence. And it wasn't until I hit 40 that I was like, now I've got it. And I remember at the time thinking, wait, you mean you've got it again, right? Like I've already (laughs) been at that peak. And then, yeah, I mean, it totally did shift all of my confidence. None of my skills changed. Let me tell you that. But all of my confidence did because it was a new, it was a new role that quote wasn't in the plan. I love that you share that. Yeah. I love that you share that because there are actually designers because I can't relate to that experience because that was not my experience. So I love that you share that because there are designers in my community who I've recently had conversations with who came from commercial design and were same, not necessarily the same thing, not New York City and all the jazz, but senior designers, well-respected, had worked their way up. And now here they are on their own having to hustle for the business, trying to figure out how to charge. And it's residential, which is also a different you know, it's a different ball game. And so I love that you share that because it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just takes a bit of a mindset shift. And, you know, they weren't using the terms mindset shift and entrepreneurs in the early 2000s, right? That just hadn't been explored. And you're also going from a solid paycheck to a, oh, crap, I got to get jobs. And, and I too was, I did a stint in commercial. And you're right. People are, Honestly, that just dropped off my resume because people are like, oh, no, 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 you don't know what you're doing in the residential world. You're like, uh, I worked there for 12 months, but okay. You know, like again, it was their mindset that couldn't get over the hump of, quite frankly, how much information and why I do as much as I do in construction. I poured myself into all the systems and HVACs, and I still use verbiage and t- terminology that only lives in the commercial world, but mm-hmm. nobody saw that. And so, oh, you know, and again, this is when resumes were printed out on paper and, you know, and you would, you know, heft your little bag of projects. And, you know, it, it was such a different time. If I had had A, online, B, a community, and C, the realization that it was a mindset shift, it had nothing to do with my abilities or skills, I would have saved that decade. Now, I think I'm a better designer having gone through that. And it's probably why I love helping, mentoring, sharing in a community because I didn't have that more because the technology, I'm aging myself always, the technology wasn't there. And had it been, I've briefly stepped into a pity party and thought, gee, if only that technology. And then I'm like, all right, Renee, you're done. You had your nice little party, move on. But so (laughs) that's why I think Rebecca and I immediately clicked because we we truly do believe in the same things. Whether we came at it, obviously our backstories are different, but ultimately it's the same. We have had m- mindset issues. We have had confidence issues. We have had business issues. And, you know, and so we're okay sharing that. I'm not embarrassed. I might have been 10 years ago. Oh, actually, I wouldn't say embarrassed. I wouldn't have led with it. I wouldn't necessarily be sharing with everyone. But no. I think there's so many designers are like, that can't be me. I can't do this. I just lost a job. I've lost tons of jobs. Tons. But right? Yeah. You can write that down. Yep. Time, date, and stamp it. Yep. I've lost tons of jobs. And yes, I have beaten myself up over them. I've rethought in the shower. Oh, I should have said this. I should have shown them that. I shouldn't have done this. I should have whatever. Yeah. Because we're human first and designers second. 
I mean, I don't know about you, Renee, but I've cried a lot. <laughs> like, oh. In bed at night, my husband's sitting next to me. He's like, and he would get frustrated with me. He would say like, why are you letting this affect you so much? It's not about you. Like we had a client, the mother got involved and would send like angry, very rude emails. And I would get the email and I would just freeze because I, I it brings me back to my childhood of like getting in trouble for something I didn't do. Like what, like, how is she, what? And I would ball my eyes out and it would affect my entire day. Like I've had my first hire ever who I thought was going to like grow my firm and be with me for 20 years, of course, because that's what I thought at the beginning, ended up leaving me for another design, another design firm. And that was within the first year of her working for me. Oh my God, Renee, you would have thought that my boyfriend of 10 years had broken up with me. (laughs) I was devastated. I didn't know how to handle that loss. I didn't, I don't know, HR. I wasn't trained in hiring. I clearly did not have onboarding. I didn't have systems in place. The poor person working for me was like, what do I do next? And like, I couldn't delegate. I didn't know how to do it. And I was devastated. And funnily enough, I'm now friends with the firm that she went to work for. But it's always our ongoing thing. I'm like, you stole her from me. And then she'll she'll joke. She's like, yeah, well, she left me too. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, what happened to her? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, there's always those people that just, you know, use and abuse and move on. Um, No, and it was just my lack of experience. And that was my learning. But from those learnings, as I'm sure you had, okay, what can I do so it doesn't happen again? And that to me, I'm so much of a solutions-driven mindset, which I think you have to be as an entrepreneur. Otherwise, it can get you down. It can feel really depressing, overwhelming. And that's when I started to search for tools, like, come on. I remember being in my studio, which is actually, at the time I worked from home, it was this room that I'm currently sitting in. So Renee, you can see I'm currently in my son's bedroom because the acoustics are good here. It is not a pretty backdrop. There is Lego freaking everywhere and like Minecraft posters. And like, I don't, you can't see the desk surface, but there's like an old, what are these, the Game Boy? Like there's just stuff everywhere. But this room was my first studio. I had like three to four designers working in this room with me. It was painted a pretty color. There's nice windows. Like this is where it all started. But I remember standing here, there was like a table full of samples, you know, fabric samples. There were like CAD drawings. And I remember just standing there thinking, what do I do next? I haven't even tracked my hours for this client. I'm behind on invoicing them. I think that that client, the other client still owes us money, but I don't have the capacity to look at that right now. The contractor's calling me on the other line. And like this anxiety feeling that just comes up like into your throat of like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do first or next. There has to be a better way. And that's when I started to look like, come on, there's got to, isn't there a standard way of doing things? Isn't there like, what are they teaching? Like, but I went to design school. So I knew that, did I miss something that I, did I not pay attention? Like, what are other people doing? What are designers doing? And you're right, Renee, there wasn't this online space the way it is today. Like maybe there was Facebook, but that was literally friends and family. Like that was it. Right. Or it was where you posted for meetups and nobody shows (laughs) at the time. No, I I remember that feeling like help. I need help, but I didn't even know where to find it. Agreed. And you tend to go back to, I must hire people because that was the old traditional path, right? I don't know how to do something. 
I'll find someone who can do it for me. And as Rebecca and I were discussing some war stories over the last years of our careers, this hiring and firing of people. And again, it's not something I'm sharing, but yeah, don't get me wrong, people. If you're listening, Rebecca and I have gotten burned or we've gotten great ones and then they leave us. Uh, you know, it's it's an ongoing situation that maybe maybe we should also be sharing that, right? That that, you know, that war story of the marketing person I hired that, yeah, was a total nightmare. And I beat myself up over that for eh, the better part of a month because I'm quote, should have seen it. No, no, I'm not a marketing person. I shouldn't have seen it. Maybe I should have seen it a little sooner. And again, like I always say, your gut's always telling you something. I may or may not have had a little funny feeling, but didn't want to act on it because I really wanted it to work out. But yeah, I, I think I think that's really where the designers that at least come and listen to my podcast, and I would imagine yours, is because they are beating themselves up for the not knowing. Oh, I should have known this. Why? I'll say that to people. I'll say it to clients. Client will be like, oh, Renee, I should have known that. I'm like, why? You're a lawyer. Why should you know what I know? Because I don't know what you know. I would hire an attorney. You know, and so I think because we're people pleasers, because we're doers, we're very often type A, we think, I'll figure it out. I'm a smart person. I'll work through it. And that's just not a winning strategy. Yeah. And especially when there's so many tools online now to help you. Absolutely. And learn a little bit from other people's mistakes. I say all the time in my podcast, like I'm sharing this information in the hopes that something resonates with you so that you don't make that same mistake. And you're never going to absorb everything. We're all still going to make mistakes. It's just the reality. But um, if you can at least capture a little bit of something, and I know that that's what these podcasts do. And I know that my students, you know, they say that all the time. They say, oh my gosh, I just had a great win. I use your discovery call script and I feel so much more confident talking about my pricing. Or I just did the consultation and I used your checklist and oh, it was so great. I didn't forget to ask a certain question. Like those are just, it's tiny little actionable things that help you get those small wins on the day to day to keep you pushing forward. Because yes, yes, we're making mistakes. We're people pleasing and all the things. Well, and you probably have the same demographic as I do. There are some seat, I call us seasoned designers who are like, I think, I think I know everything, not in an arrogant way, but more like I'm good. I'm seasoned. Well, Rebecca and I were talking about high point before I got on and the girlfriend I that I traveled with was one of my design school friends. And she went to a bunch of seminars. I had some rep appointments, so I couldn't go to as many, but I did go to three in total. And Okay, I would say 80% of what I heard, I knew. 20%, I was scribbling notes. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool idea. Oh my God, I never thought about that. But the other 80% was reinforcement that I'm on the right path. And so that's 30 years in, people. There is never a time where you can stop learning. And especially now with what we do for a living, if I mean, hell, they have yeah. high point market twice a year for a reason, right? Because things are constantly evolving and changing. And now with AI and with online virtual assistants and with everything coming at us, like I say, lovingly, I'm drinking from a fire hose, but the content is there. And while you may think you're good, like I remember thinking, oh, I don't know. My French said, I'm going to go to this one. And I looked at the content. I had a conflict. I maybe could have squeezed it in. I looked at it. I was like, nah, I'm good. And then I saw her notes afterwards, which 
I told Rebecca she's having her VA type up and send to me because I want to know not only am I on the right path, but is there that little nugget that I can apply that would move my, you know, move me further down the path without me having to either research it, figure it out on my own, or just not even know it existed? That's what distinguishes you and other designers who are like minded, Renee, with the crowd. That I think is a curiosity an openness to learn that if you just are open to learning, you will go farther than you can imagine. I really believe that because like you said, the world, there's so much information in the world and not to let it overwhelm you, but there's always something that can be learned. And when you go at it, like that's the attitude, Renee, like your attitude is like the dream entrepreneur attitude because you will constantly take everything as a lesson. And then you will look and see how is what someone else is doing. Like what you said earlier, I love what you said that, you know, when you decided to change your pricing model and you said, you know, you're filing away some other people's ideas for later because you recognize, you know what, I don't need this right now, but I'm open to things could change because that's the reality. And I, I see this all the time in my own business. Things are always changing. Our process, as much as I say, okay, we've got a seven-step process. It works like a charm. I'm always evaluating and saying, hey, you know what? Our clientele is changing. The world is changing. How can we tweak and evolve our process to reflect that? And I think if, you, if you're if you not moving and changing, you're just sitting still and eventually you'll die. So I think it's really important to have that mindset, the one that you just talked about. Like, oh, shoot, not to have too much FOMO, though, because I can see for me, I'd be like, oh, shoot, I wish I was in that <laughs> lecture. I should go. I should do both things at the same time. I'm such a FOMO girl. <laughs> Don't want to miss the party. <laughs> no, no, I suffer from that as well. But anyone who's gone to High Point knows it's like, it's so overwhelming. There's just like, there was a physical distance. I was like, oh, that's too many steps. No, I'm not going through that. <laughs> like, I'm done. I'm totally done on that one. Um, and maybe if my girlfriend hadn't gone, I would have thought more about it. But I knew I was like, I'll get your notes, right? Send me yeah, send yeah. me your uh, your best notes on it later. But I agree. I think there is also, you know, again, hearkening back to my early days, believe it or not, in New York in the 90s, there was a very large design community and we did all know each other. And I, quote, thought that was normal, right? I There are all these industry events. Again, this was the 90s. So there was plenty of money and, and things to do. And then when I left New York, it was like I was a leper, right? I would try to talk to other designers and they would be friendly, but they certainly wouldn't engage me in any conversations. And I'm an ASID member. And so I, you know, would join the the local one, which isn't so local to me. And I'd go up there and, you know, everyone was, oh, hi. Oh, oh, you're from Delaware. And and really it was, I talked about my family. Um, I talked about my backstory. We never talked about business. And I was like, what is going on out here? Like, I'm okay. You're okay. Like there's, there's plenty of work in this world. And, and frankly, I wasn't even in their, in their geographical location, but I love, you know, again, like we should actually probably share our, before we started recording because it was, you know, Hey, what are you doing for your podcast? And how is your editor? And what did it, you know, it was all, I'm happy to share all of that. Because what's good for me is good for Rebecca. And maybe she says, well, actually, I don't need that. But 
you know, that's the part that that really bothers me is when designers aren't open to sharing their processes or their steps, their tips, their tricks. And and I really appreciate it when people and I'm happy to share my mistakes. And there are a plenty of them to discuss over the years. But I, I think it's again, it's confidence. I am confident that I will continue to work and get the jobs that I want, even if I tell people about how I do it. Mm, and I okay. want designers listening to hear that there is plenty and there's frankly so much to learn from each other. Yeah. And even new designers, I've even recommended, I'm like, reach out to another new designer in your area, maybe partner for a year or two, you know, learn from each other, lean on each other. And they're like, really? And it's, you'll probably find the same thing, Rebecca. It's almost like they needed permission to do it, that they've thought about it, that it wasn't, because you can kind of tell the way they respond, that it wasn't necessarily something they hadn't thought about. They just didn't think they'd be okay to do it. Right. Like, is is this actually done? Is this a practice that's okay? It's almost, and I think this happens in all aspects of business, like you just need the validation. Yes. We need, unfortunately, sometimes outside validation to take action. It's like when you crowdsource, who should I hire? Like, I'm going through that right now. We need to hire someone to help with marketing and content man. And I'm like asking everyone I know, like, what do you think? What do you think? But like, really what they think shouldn't really matter if I can trust my gut and I know what works. But sometimes you just need that external validation to say, you're on the right path. Yes. Absolutely. Do that thing. Yes. And that's why Rebecca seeks out mentors, coaches, I seek out mentors, coaches for that very reason. It never, I hope I'm not ruining someone's day. It never ends, right? You can always use more ideas, more refined tools, more paths, more processes, more tips, more strategies. Um, And as we said, because this is also ever changing and the way I do things now looks nothing like how I did it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and certainly not when I was working for other firms. Some of it is actually, most of it is technology and we don't know what's coming next. It's chat GPT and everything that goes with it, lady. I mean, I'm just going to say it is nuts. It's just nuts. We found, I mean, I don't know if I share this here, but we just found a really cool, I don't know if it's called an app or program that is artificial intelligence for video. And maybe for audio. And you can upload your audio video. And it takes some time. It crunches, thinks, whatever the heck it does. (laughs) And it pulled out, I'm not even kidding you, Renee, 26 individual snippets from, we submitted a video. It was like a video from our podcast. It was just a tester. I haven't used it on social. But I have to make sure that it's pulling good moments. But it pulled 26, like 30-second to three-minute clips of the conversation I had with a guest on my podcast, and it put it into – they had templates. Like, you know, you see on Instagram, like, we do those videos, but we're spending hours creating all of our own. And I looked at my, like, team member, and we were like, holy mother OMG. Like, this potentially – and I haven't used it yet – could be a game changer. And so – we're in the midst of learning all of that. And so now I'm like, who can I learn from? Who's using this really well? Tell me and help me because I don't want to have to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I know there's a lot of fear around AI and obviously nothing good comes from fear. 
And so I think the more educated, I've been looking into it. I've been playing around with chat GPT. It is creepy. It is. And, um, but in a good way. And I think, you know, I don't know what the U.S. is going to end up doing. I don't know what Canada is talking about it. I, I, I have a feeling there'll be some, some serious guardrails, which is most likely a good, a good thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it can be used to any entrepreneur's benefit because yeah. entrepreneurs tend to be scrappy. We tend to figure it out. And this is, I don't want to say a shortcut because that has a negative connotation to it, but it is, it's like a virtual assistant, frankly. So I, I have been playing around with that. I've been very interested. Uh, my daughter asked me for my login. I was like, oh, hell no, no, no. We're not writing essays on this princess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, why won't you share that with me? I'm like, because A, I don't want you getting in trouble, right? Yeah. I, I saw a thing where they've got these filters or somehow, some some schools have already figured out filters to determine if it was created. Wow. I don't know how they're doing that so quickly, but uh, oh yeah, she wanted my login. I'm like, Mm-mm, nope, not happening. I'm not that mom. But you know, I think it's not something to be feared. And again, uh, you know, everyone thought, oh, we're going to get replaced. Look, the reality is I think the interior designers are the most insulated from it because you can't you can't AI your way into creativity. Of course, you can have a program that can create a room. Of course, you can do certain things, but there's no service there, right? My chat GPD didn't hold my hand and ask return questions, right? Like it it wasn't a service. It was info in, info out. And so you know, I actually, I have a podcast coming up on the AI that I've been researching and fine tuning, but I really don't believe, well, spoiler alert, I do believe e-design online can get probably pretty eroded, but not entirely because there are going to just be people who don't trust it, don't believe in it, both designers and end users. But I think, you know, look, if, if you don't move with the times, you're left behind. It is literally that simple. And so just being shut down to it, I'm afraid of it. It's never going to help me. It's a competition. Then, then you're missing, you're missing an opportunity, you know, look at it with a different lens of how can this help me for love of God, we all need help. How can this help me? And I found a few ways, just like you did, Rebecca, that, you know, you're not sure if it's going to work, but it's worth exploring. Yeah. And I think this is like, you're right. This is a whole other podcast, probably yeah. multiple, multiple podcasts because it is pretty, it's pretty powerful, but I, yeah, it's like anything. It's like any tool, right? Embrace a new tool, try it. Maybe it doesn't work for you or maybe you don't like it, but at least try. Like, how do you know until you try? Right. Well, remember they thought Instagram would put us out of business. I'm like, really? I mean, it's like our number one tool to share our, vi- our visuals, you know? And then Howells was going to put us Howells. out of business I that. because that they were going to tag things that were, quote, similar. You know what, people? Let me, I know Rebecca will agree with this. If you have clients that want to go on Howells and do a lookalike for a lot less, they're not your clients. Exactly. Exactly. If they are looking for a deal and they just want to see a design and that's not, I mean, again, you have to know the service level that you want to offer. I think it really comes down to that. If you... You need to know your client. What is your client looking for? And and is your client looking for a discount? If they are, is that the client you really want? And if it isn't, well, then what and how can you position your service and your offering and your pricing to meet that client that you want? Because more often than not, what I see, and this was me, I was caught in what I used to call the bad client loop, which is not a fair 
which is not fair because they weren't bad people and some of them are my friends. So let's call it the budget client loop where you get the one project. And I don't know, Renee, if you can relate to this, but like you get a project. So I worked in HGTV for a couple of years when I first started out and I worked I'll on- I'll try the- not to hold that against you. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, that's a whole other podcast. We can talk about that experience. Nothing like the real world. But Nothing. I, yeah. One of the hosts was Scott McGilvery and he was wonderful. And he referred me to someone who we'd worked with. He's like, you'd be a great designer. I was like, oh my God, like Scott McGilvery's recommended. This is like, oh, it's my ticket to stardom. And I did the project and she's a good friend of mine now, but she was on a budget, right? It was a renovation, didn't want to do any decorating or furniture. And I like to do the decor and furniture and the fabrics and all that. So that was a bummer. But then she referred me to a colleague of hers, similar situation, budget, didn't really want to spend the money, didn't see the value in taking it the extra mile. They referred me to the next one. And then finally, I got referred to someone. I walked in their house in the east end of Toronto, and I was like, how does someone live like this? This house is literally falling apart. It needs to be torn down, and they just want to refresh something. And I thought, how did I get here? This is such a far cry from working for the residential designer that I worked for who was doing million-dollar homes. And I realized I was in this cycle of referrals because A, they were connected, B, my pricing structure met them where they were at, and then C, the work that I was photographing and putting out there was like HGTV quality at the time work, which was really basic. And so I realized like, frick, like something has to change because this is not the future I envision for myself. And I know that when you're starting out in your business, you do, it is referral based. That is how everyone starts. Usually you get your projects because you've got a friend of a friend and someone's mother, and then it kind of just spirals from there. But if you're not intentional, then it could kind of get away from you. And that's where, that's where I think that the, how you charge for your services will really matter because it's going to attract the client. Like, I know we talked about pricing a little bit, but I do think it's worthy of discussion because yes, your marketing matters. You know, yes, your your aesthetic and your design matters. Your personality 100% matters. But if you are too cheap or if you aren't pricing your service the way that client wants, then they're going to go to someone else. You said the fixed fee. I mean, I know a lot of clients and my ideal client currently right now, they want to know what the whole thing's going to cost them. They just do. I just did a proposal for a a 12,000 square foot new construction home, biggest one I've ever put a proposal to. And I wanted to do fixed fee for the design and implementation for the construction, sorry, and hourly for my implementation, which is the construction part. Because I'm like, I've never done a house this big. Like, I have no idea. I don't want to lose money. But they said, we're not going to do an hourly. We need to know the fixed fee. And so it was a good reminder to me that how you price and structure your services is going to affect the type of client that works with you. I don't know if you've seen that. I have seen a lot. And spoiler alert, I also have fallen into, especially when I first left New York and started out, that bad client cycle. And I also suffer like secondary layer. I moved back to the town I grew up in. And so it was, you know, I'd see someone out. Oh, my God, you're back. Oh, my God, I've been dying to get you to help me. And I'd say yes without even hearing what the project was, right? I mean, one, I I had a mortgage to pay. I bought this 
fixer upper house because that seemed like a really smart idea when you move out of New York City and you have lived in apartments forever and you're like, I want a backyard. And yeah, I did it because I knew better. I might not have known better in the moment because I was so focused on, I need to pay my mortgage. And so I know a lot of designers like, well, I took this one because I really needed the work and I get it. So I, I empathize all day long, but I really wish again, I'd had someone back then say, say no to this, Renee, you are keeping yourself so busy. You can't focus on who you need to be working for. And frankly, who you're skilled enough to be working for. And so pricing, like we discussed earlier, was sort of like, oh, okay, so most people are pricing this. Oh, okay, I'll price a little bit more because I do have experience. What, is that strategic? I mean, wow, what did I spend? The whole whopping four minutes on that? And this is your pricing structure. Like, holy cow. Like, I look back now, I'm like, you are such a dumbass, Renee. Like, you should have at least asked. I mean, again, I yeah. grew up here. My high school friends are attorneys and accountants. And why didn't I lean on them? But I didn't. But I agree with you in that, look, the reality is if you're new, you need work. You need something to show in your portfolio. But I also know that there's so many designers that have what I would call pretty houses, right? And mainly because that's how this all got started. I hear all the time like, oh, I used to do this for my friends for fun. And then they said, you should start a business. Okay. Look, that's a legitimate reason. Then go photograph your friends' houses and your own. You don't have to have been paid to showcase the work you've done. And they go, oh, I've never done a whole room. Fine. Vignette the hell out of it in photos and give enough of a tease to imply the rest of the room looks the same way. And yeah. that gives, again, a thousand times again, the confidence to price the services that you are skilled to do. And I just just had this conversation, and I've heard this a couple of times with you, similar to your pricing structure. So again, I've been hourly. I do lots of design, new builds, big houses, and implementation. Those are my happy projects, right? but I've never offered it in stages. I'm all in. You want me? I'm going to do all the implementation. And at the end, we're going to put all the new pretty furniture into this beautiful home we've just built. And I've had designers say to me, well, I'm hired for the design and I'm not hired for the implementation. And the first time it happened, I was like, how is that possible? And they go, oh, well, it's, it's two parts of my contract. And so they agree to the one and not to the other. And I'm like, well, are you okay with that? Because if you are, fine, knock yourself out. And they're like, well, no, I'm not implementing, but it's a construction. And so they're calling me because they found something in the wall and this and that. And I'm like, they go, so I'm just going to charge hourly. And it's in my contract, Renee, I'm covered. I'm like, but you're not. Because if you get a frantic phone call from a contractor freaking out over something, or God forbid, it's the client calling you, you're trying to understand what happened. You haven't allotted that time mm -hmm. in your schedule because mm -hmm. you quote weren't hired for that. So now you're like pulling your hair out, putting out fires, not really understanding what's going on because you're only getting the snippets because you weren't a part of weekly meetings or daily job sites or every other, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And I keep hearing more and more designers doing that. And they go, Oh, Renee, it's too big. Wow. It's too big. My, I don't think I'd get hired. I get that too. You can still break it out. Break out the pricing, break out the hours, however you used to do it or however you structure your fees, but break it out. But it's still one contract. Yeah, and when that yeah. pushback comes, you say, 
you want the design I'm giving you, the only way to get that is to have me see it through to fruition. And the the designers I tell, they're like, oh, you know, it's a game changer because so many designers are just paid for their designs. Or what I heard once was, I can't really photograph it, Renee. They sort of bastardized my plan because they found a pipe and they had to move this and they shipped the wall and da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, okay. If you had been a part of that project, it's still your work. Now, of course, there's still things you could photograph within that. But I I agree with you. I can see where your client would say, okay, this is flat and this is hourly. And it is terrifying to try and gauge hourly the number of hours on a construction project because I should probably figure out how many I've been on. But in 30 years, no two projects are the same. But the process is the same. The steps and stages are the same. You know, you don't, you don't skip demo, right? There's no project that skips demo, you know? So it's, it's still the same things. And that's why the course that I built came to life because I'm thinking, well, I can't explain to you what every day will look like, but I can explain what the weeks, the months, and the general format absolutely will and what you can be prepared for and how you can manage that and be an authority on those sites. And you have done that with processes inside a business. Yeah. I mean, that is that is really my passion is the systems and the process. It doesn't sound sexy, but for some reason, I just have seen how transformative it can be. And I mean, we we haven't, that's not even what we're here to talk about today. That's a whole other conversation, but that is like my signature course. It's not open right now because it's only open twice a year, but it is called Power of Process because it is powerful. And once you have a freaking process and a step-by-step way of doing things, it's easier to price your services. It's easier to deliver service. It's easier to have time for yourself. Everything for me changed when I had those processes. But like back to what you were just saying about the like the design versus, I mean, was what I call implementation. I do think also that it depends on the designer and what they want. What I have seen is some designers are not interested in construction. I mean, they probably won't listen to this podcast <laughs> if that's them, but right. Cause like that, but some designers are like, I just want to decorate. Yeah, absolutely. And some designers are like, I just want to do the design and then I want to get out. Or other designers are like, I don't want to touch the decor. Like that is so not my jam. I really just want to do hard materials and finishes and like be on a job site and like troubleshoot. Like everyone can like what they like. As long as you are clear. And I think what you're getting at too, Renee, is like setting those expectations with the client from the get-go. And that's where having a strong contract is important and being super clear when you meet that client for the first time, whether it's in a discovery call or at a consultation and saying, this is what I do. And if you want to do full scope design the way you've just described, Renee, you need to tell those clients from the beginning. And I do believe it's okay to break up your pricing structure but still have one contract. Yeah. Sign on the dotted, like we just had a client sign on the dotted line. We're doing, it's a complete rebuild of this brand new house they bought. Well, it's an old house, but it's new to them. And they signed one contract. They've only paid us for the design. They haven't paid us yet for implementation, but they know when that's expected. And they know that that's part of why they're hiring. And it's so much about how you parcel and how you communicate your service to your client and and that service that you deliver. And it's experience sometimes, but I think it's a bit of a myth. I actually can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually don't think you need 
to have experience to make money. Doesn't mean you don't need experience to be successful, but I I see designers all day long making money that I wish in my first or second year, like I'm getting really like heated right now, my arms are flailing, that I'm like, whoa, holy heck, why didn't I think of that? Why was I, why was I like, for example, charging for consultations? Why did I not charge for the first four, five years of my business? Well, I didn't think there was enough value. You know, the person I had worked for didn't charge. So I couldn't imagine. Actually, the first time I heard that people charged for consultations, I was like, you do what? That's insane. I actually couldn't believe or understand why someone would pay. They don't even know if you're worth it yet. Because it was my mindset at the time I didn't value enough or feel confident enough that I thought if I go to a consultation and I don't charge, I'm off the hook. I can provide value, yes or no, doesn't really matter. But all that time that was wasted and I wasn't showing up as a professional. And so I wasn't attracting the right clients. Like that is, if you are going to change anything in your business today, right now to make more money and help set you up for success with the right clients that want to hire you to do what Renee just said, which is like the whole meal deal, you have to charge from the get-go. Because and also, Rebecca, what I saw people do, and I will admit, I did this as well. I would make my consultations an hour. I would tell them it was going to be an hour and I would charge them for an hour. I mean, what kind of idiot was I thinking? So did I levitate there? Did I not prepare for the meeting? I mean, you know, and I would look back now and I thought, well, that was dumb, Renee. But to me, I was like, oh, I'm there for an hour. I'm going to charge for an hour. I'm not. I'm just going to ignore the fact that it was a 20-minute drive each way. I'm going to ignore the fact that I actually did, you know, at the time, I get all my, you know, pretty pictures together. I might do a little research. It's a lot easier now with online. You know, I might have invested 30 minutes. And then I've got 40 minutes in travel time and then the hour. And it usually went about hour and 15, hour and 25. And I was charging for one hour of my time. I mean, you know, you look back and you're thinking again, like who, who was missing in my life that didn't knock me on the side of the head and be like, hello, what are you thinking? Yeah. And then when you charge, you don't, you're not resentful, right? I remember being so resentful. Can't believe I spent my time. They didn't even hire me. Oh my God. I could have been doing so many other things. But if you collected money for your time then, oh, hey, they didn't hire me. Oh, well, at least I got 200, 500, 700, whatever dollars. And honestly, Rebecca, I think you show up differently. You know, you show up like I'm covered already. And there is that's an innate confidence that I'm in charge. You've already, like you said, 507, whatever the the fee is that makes sense for the designer, please, again, include travel time, prep time in that number. But then you walk in going, oh, this is actually an enjoyable moment for me. I get to meet someone new. I get to see their house. And if I want to work with them, that's great. And that's the difference as opposed to, I hope they hire me. I'm coming at this from a weak standpoint. I'm coming at this when I'm going to have to bill them after the fact so that, I don't know, maybe they'll never pay it. I was very lucky. I, that's never happened, but I've had a gazillion designers tell me that. I had to chase a bill. Okay, now you've put more time onto that one hour consult that never turned into a project. So I I think the whole thing flips around. Like you said, Rebecca, you charge upfront, you get it in advance, and then you go into it with a totally different perspective. Yeah. They see you as a professional. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And actually, there was a conversation at High Point about collecting furniture fees upfront or taking 50%. And and again, I hearken back to my quote, industry standard, which really don't exist. But back in the day, you would take 50% of your furniture, you would give the furniture company 50%, and then you would collect the other 50% before installation. Some designers would charge it after, but thankfully, it didn't work for those designers. So Rebecca, the last time you made an order online, did you give the company 50% and then before, say, Restoration Hardware shipped you something, they said, hey, hey, Rebecca, we need the extra 50? Obviously, absolutely not. I mean, (laughs) but the funniest thing is that is so obvious and designers are like, oh, I could never ask for 100% up front. Yeah. But But if the client went straight to the store, they would have to pay up front. And especially during pandemic, people are like, well, Renee, you know, we have to wait four months. Yeah. Did restoration extend you? Basically, you're extending credit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know any, I'm using restoration hardware as an example, because it's it's yeah. a common one. And their stuff is also expensive. That's another conversation to be had. But yeah. why are designers putting themselves in a, you know, a situation? Because I hear the designers, I never got the extra 50%. I'm chasing them for the money. Yeah, you're not a bank. That's what basically happens is you be, I worked for someone who was a bank. He would just go purchase, purchase, and then invoice the client, and then it would be like, "Oh, they still owe us a hundred thousand dollars." And of course, little old assistant me was like, "Oh my god, I've never even seen a hundred thousand dollars! Like, I can't even imagine. It's insanity." I, I think it's again, but you know what? It's insanity. But I've done it. I did it because yeah. I I was nervous asking for the money, and that's like a whole other conversation about money mindset that we won't have time to get into them. Actually, Renee, I'm planning to do um, a money mindset challenge. I haven't actually figured out when it's going to happen. It's going to be like a five day, like with all the learnings that I've absorbed from my own, like business coaches and teachers and what have you. So I'll share with you when I decide to do that. But I think it'll be like, I just want to give back all the lessons that I've learned because there's so much about our upbringing and our childhood that actually is at play there that causes us to react a certain way when it comes to money, because there it's so much more than someone just saying, stop doing it. Like it's easier said than done sometimes. And I get that because that was me. And again, I think women have a harder time. I, I know I'm painting with a broad brush than men asking for you know money up front. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, so please keep me posted on that because I know, yeah, I, I know I'd be interested because again, I always like learning and I know, I know my listeners would be as well. So Rebecca, I know you have, obviously you got to pay for your consultation. Is there anything else that listeners can walk away with today and say, I'm going to do this because Rebecca says that this is the right or good thing to do. I shouldn't say right because there is no right right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. There is no one way to do things. But if you like the idea of like, okay, what are some quick and easy ways that I could start making more money in my design business right now, uh, then you can go and download. I've got a great little PDF that we created. And it has, I think it's four just sort of hacks, like things that you can implement in your business right now to help you bring in some revenue. Because I know that is always lowest hanging fruit. You can just go to RebeccaHay.com forward slash revenue. And you can download that PDF. I mean, we talked a little bit about consultations here and product, but I think it's it's a really valuable resource. But I also just launched a course on money and it's it's called Pricing with Confidence. And in that course, you know, it's a little itty bitty bite-sized course. You can do it at your own pace. And it is 
I walk you through the different pricing models that exist in the industry that I have seen and that I, as I mentioned, have pulled from all the different designers I've spoken to. I share the different pricing models. There are three, spoiler alert, there's three most popular models. And I walk through and help you decide which is right for you because I do not believe it's a one-size-fits-all approach. And I also walk, in that course, I walk designers through what I do and how I do it. If you're interested, you can do it my way, but you don't have to. And I I think it's a really great starting point for anyone who's just starting their business or maybe has been doing it for a while and is thinking, huh, maybe I want to switch things up or I'm curious how other people do it. So it's called Pricing with Confidence and you can get it at RebeccaHay.com forward slash pricing because I think money is always a hot topic. And the more I can share what I've learned, uh, the more I can help others. And we'll have those links in the show notes as well. But I I agree with you. And confidence, right? And confidence comes from feeling good about what you're doing. And so learning from, from me, from Rebecca, from all the other content out there, there's so many amazing people in our industry, not just interior designers, but people in the surrounding, I call them industry partners, that there's a lot of information because we all, frankly, it makes the industry better. And that helps Rebecca, it helps me, and it helps each of you listening, because if we're seen more professionally, then then we all benefit from that. Whether it's uh, Rebecca in, in Canada looking more professional or me in Delaware, ultimately it, it does improve the industry and makes it, I, I hate to say it, but I get a lot like, oh my gosh, it's almost like a great hobby. I'm like, no, 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 no. way past the <laughs> hobby part, but thanks for taking me down a few notches, right? I love that you say that because in the course, I actually talk about the distinction between running your business like a hobby and running your business like a business. Yes. Because that you have to start treating it like a business if you intend to make money, grow, and build that confidence. And stay in business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? I mean, can you imagine saying something to, you know, I don't know, an attorney? Like, oh, it sounds like a great hobby, right? Like, Why is our industry, is it, well, I know it's because it's creative and people think it's something, quote, they can do on their own. And while they can maybe do something, they can't do it as successfully as a trained designer. So I I cannot thank you. Rebecca, we took twists and turns. Guys, we talked about this in the beginning. We're like, we're going to talk about this and that. And then all of a sudden we're on AI and all these other exciting topics. (laughs) It kind of went all over. But I think You know, look, as I was telling Rebecca before we started, I think it is important for people to basically listen in, you know, be a fly on the wall of designers talking about what designers worry about. And these are really valuable. And again, like you might walk away from this podcast and only have one little snippet and be like, I learned that today. And then the others might be like, I got to put this on replay. I got to, you know, listen to it seven times and take copious notes. And to be honest, those are all wins for Rebecca and for me. Absolutely. And definitely go check out my podcast too. If you love the sort of business talk, money mindset systems, all all those things, you can go check out Resilient by Design wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I believe this will be the first of several conversations. We briefly talked about very important topics to our industry that we just, you know, couldn't cover everything in one call. So Rebecca, I can't thank you enough for your time. Every time I talk to you, I learn something. And so I know this has been a valuable piece of content for anyone listening. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on my podcast next. Can't wait for that. Can't wait.
All of the links will be in the show notes. Um, so because I know some people listen to this while they're driving. So please don't write that down while you're driving. <laughs> Focus on the road. Focus on the road. I promise you it will all be covered in the show notes so you can do it safely and right. seek out Rebecca. She's got an amazing amount of product and content that we can all learn from. So thanks, thanks. again, Rebecca. And I hope to have you back on soon. Thank you, Renee. Okay, guys, I know that was a long one for my normal episodes, but I just couldn't leave any of that amazing conversation out. It was so great to just have an open conversation about all the things that we're constantly talking about with a fellow designer who also believes, like me, that we are stronger together supporting each other. So the content that Rebecca mentioned on the show all of those links will be in the show notes. And I can promise you, this is not the last time you will hear from Rebecca Hay on my podcast. In the meantime, if you want to hear more about Rebecca Hay, jump on to her podcast, Resilient by Design, and check out everything that she shares with her audience. I can't thank you enough for your time today. And I look forward to our next time together. Thank you for listening today and feel free to join me on social media at Davine Design in order to stay up to date on the latest happenings in my construction world. There is more detailed information on my website for my signature courses for both homeowners and designers, as well as other material to help guide you through a successful renovation project. Make sure to follow my podcast so that you get notifications of new episodes so you don't miss a tip. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, leave a review and tell your friends who are starting or are mid project. And thank you again for listening today.